How are we doing, community of faith? You made it through the rain. I'm so proud of you. Those of you at home, I'm still proud of you. I just want you to know that as we continue this series, I am community of faith. If you're here, if you were here last week, this week, and the next two weeks, um, you'll be part of our new generation of members. We'll have membership class after that, basically on a monthly basis, but you won't have to go to that. You'll have already, you'll already know it. So we're talking today about the church and in the Bible, there are kind of like four word pictures for church. The word church in the original language of the New Testament, ecclesia, and it doesn't sound much like church, does it? Ecclesia, church. How did we get that? Well, we got the, the word church. It kind of came through European way. Uh, the German word kirk is the building. And so kind of the European feel of church was the building, but that wasn't the New Testament view of church at all. Ecclesia means the called out ones, the ones that God has pulled out of their former way of life and, and have a whole new kind of life. And so these buildings aren't the church. You're the church. You, those of us gathered together. When three of you gather together to eat breakfast together or lunch together, you're the church right there gathered. And so that, that's the amazing thing. But I want us to look at these four beautiful word pictures. And as we do that, we'll see the power of church for us. The first picture we see of church in the scripture, it's described as God's home. God meant for the church to be his home. He means for community of faith to be his home. I want you to listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. You are no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into, the t- built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. God means for community of faith to be a home, his home, that he lives here with us. And it's something that we can't do on our own because God designed for it to be done together in community. We have to be connected to one another. We have to be connected to the church in the true sense that the Bible talks about it. The verse says he's building it brick by brick, and every brick is important. It's um, Each one is different, and God is specifically placing those bricks in his home. If you think about a church where, or a building where one of the bricks is missing, that building's not strong, right? It's not stable. And God says he's placing each one in place, just like he's done for us. One of our good friends is a home builder. And here are some things that are important to know when you're building a home. The first one is that you can't build it with just one part. It takes thousands of different parts to build a home, right? I mean, there's the lumber, the concrete, the sheetrock, the um, insulation, all the different parts that go into building a home. You can't just build it with one part. The same thing is true of God's church, his home. It takes all of us together. You can't be God's home with just one part. 
He intends for us to be here together, and together we become something beautiful. The second thing about building his home is that all the parts have to fit together, right? They have to come together. A beam that's, you know, a foot too short isn't going to work when you're building your home. It's not going to support the home. Or if you have a pipe that even if it's just an inch too short, it's not going to work. You're going to have a big leak in your house. Everything has to fit together to be a healthy home. And the same thing is true of God's home here. We all have to fit together. That's what he's designed us to do. The third thing, if you're building a home, is that a part is useless unless it's connected. I mean, think about that. For stability in building anything, everything has to be connected, right? I love watching those shows where they, they go and, and buy one of an old historic home and then they renovate it and bring it up to code where you can actually live in it again. Do you guys like that, those shows? That's Laura's channel, HGTV. <laughs> that's the only channel we need except for like one of those that shows Dateline over yeah. and over. So it's either, you know, home renovation or murder mystery. <laughs> the other day I was watching something. She said, can we turn this off and, and turn it over to something that's a little more relaxing like murder. <laughs> but, and it's always the husband. I don't know. But when they're restoring an old home like that, what do they do first? I mean, they check the foundation, right? To make sure it's stable. And sometimes they take the house all the way down to the studs so they can check those beams and those, the lumber and make sure that it's still sturdy and still going to work. And they build it back together so that everything's connected. So the home is safe. And you can use it. You can actually live there and occupy it. The same thing is true for us. I mean, if you imagine a house where the staircase is not connected, the staircase is useless, right? And if we have a bunch of people here in our building, but we're not connected to one another, it's useless. God designed his church to be connected to one another. Ephesians 4.25 says, in Christ's body, we are all connected to each other. We can't serve our purpose. We can't do the things that God has called us to do unless we're connected together. The other thing about building a house is that there can be parts inside the house that aren't actually a part of the house, right? I mean, if you are building a home and you go and visit them while they're under construction, right? What do you see when you go in? Well, there's probably piles of lumber. Maybe there's pipes sitting around or, or piles of tile, but they're not actually a part of the house, right? They're just sitting in the house. And until they're actually fitted together in the place that they go, they don't become a part of the house. The same thing is true here. That's why last week Mark explained to you the difference between saying I go to community of faith and I am community of faith. The difference is commitment. We have to commit ourselves. Going to community of faith just means I'm going to an event. But when I say I am community of faith, it says I belong to something. I'm a part of something. It's being connected to one another. And God has called us to be his home in that way. You know, when you commit yourself to Christ, you become what we call a Christian, right? A God follower. But when you commit yourself to a local church family, you're committing yourself to a group of believers. And that's what God has called us to do. And and then you say, this is my family. This is my home. This is where I'm going to go to grow, to learn spiritually, to 
find my place and be everything that God wants me to be to serve the purpose that he has for me. There's so many people today that just kind of hop around from one church to the next and never really commit to any one place. That's not what God intended for you to do. And you know, there are all kinds of good churches, even within driving distance of us that, I mean, if community of faith is not the place for you, that's okay. But you need to find the place that is and get plugged in and be a part of that church. In fact, you know, most of the pastors and priests are our friends. We know them, all the ones in the area. Sometimes I kid around and give different churches a hard time, but uh, we love all of them. And uh, you don't know it, but we talk about you guys all the time. You know, it's like, I'll give you these two for two future draft choices, (laughs) you know, Or, or they'll say, Uh, Hey, uh, these people came and joined from your church. Oh, enjoy that. Okay. So So the first picture the Bible gives us of the church is that it's a home, that God is building a home, a place where all the parts are connected. They're serving the purpose they were created to serve. They support one another. They hold each other together. That's the purpose of the church that we see in the Bible. So the church is a home. The second beautiful word picture is the church is a family. And this is so important, I think, in America today, because most of us need to be re-familied. That's not really a word either. Like Sheree, I make up words too. But it's like we we maybe came from a pretty dysfunctional family of origin. Maybe like Marshall, there was divorce or something that um, separated. And so there was an absentee parent, absentee father or mother, or maybe it was just, you know, every other weekend somewhere. But we felt a lot of that, you know, and we have some dysfunction. Let's just admit it, right? You know, people all the time say, you know, I'm just looking for the perfect church. And I always want to say, well, if it's perfect, don't join it because then you're going to mess it up. It won't be perfect anymore, right? But the, the whole thing is that all of us are struggling in areas of our life. All of us are dysfunctional and we don't even realize it some of the times, but when you get together in a family of faith, it's a chance to be refamilied. And God does some amazing things. Listen to some of these verses. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Wow. Just think about those words for a minute. Adopted into his home. He's saying, I adopted you a billion, billion years ago in the vast nothingness before I created time, space, everything that's here. I was thinking about you you by name. And I was thinking, I want to have them in my family. You know, it helps me to realize there really are no unplanned babies in the world today. Now, they're unplanned parents, right? Whoops, but no unplanned babies because God has been planning for them for billions of years. Why would God choose me? I mean, I question that. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher of a hundred years ago or so, has an interesting comment. He said, I just feel like if God hadn't chosen me before the foundation of the world, he sure wouldn't choose me now. 
Sometimes you feel like that. But that's the thing about God. We're his ecclesia. We're his called out ones. And he called us out billions of years ago. That's the amazing thing. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. People talk all the time about man's search for God. For me, they might as well talk about the mouse's search for a cat. It was God that closed in on me, not the other way around. In fact, the Bible's really clear. Jesus himself said, no one can come to God unless the Father draws them, pulls them. Maybe like Marshall, you thought, oh, just accidentally said yes, but it wasn't accidental. God had been planning that moment for him forever and was pulling him to himself. So if you feel that draw, and it's not an accident that you're here or that you're listening online, God has pulled you here. He has pulled you to himself. And we need to stop and thank him for that. You know, it's a big deal. In fact, the Bible's real clear. It says in the book of Hebrews that if you stop having that feeling of being pulled toward God, that's a scary thing because you don't want to pass that point like of no return. You say, no, 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 no. And then the spirit stops pulling. He goes, okay, you can have what you want. And I talk to people sometimes. I never feel any pull toward God at all. I'm going like, oh, uh, you know, I really, I really wish you did have that pull because it scares me for you not to have it. I'm going to pray for you to, that God will just start pulling you that way. Listen to this next group of verses in Romans 8, 15 through 18. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You ever seen different people's religion and it's kind of like that? They're so legalistic and they're afraid and, oh no, you know, if I'm not in church, you know, the lightning's going to zap me or, you know, something bad's going to happen. And that's not what we do. That's not what it's about. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. He adopted you into his family. Now we call him Abba, father. And Abba is an Aramaic word for father, for daddy. It's actually like a familiar word. It's it's the, the language that Jesus spoke, Aramaic. They wrote in Greek and spoke in Aramaic. But Abba, we can call him Abba. And that's daddy. He wants us to be that intimate with him. And he's that concerned about us. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Did you know that? Did you know that your father owns everything? I mean, Elon Musk has nothing on him, right? Jeff Bezos has nothing on him. Your father owns everything. We are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. I know a lot of you, I talk to people all the time that say, why did God allow that man to be my father? He just wasn't a good guy. And I'm always happy to tell him, 
because God wanted you. He needed 23 chromosomes from that guy, and maybe that's all he ever gave you. And 23 chromosomes from your mother to make you. And he had been planning for you for billions of years. He wanted you so much that he would even allow that guy to be your father or that lady to be your mother. And so realize that God loves you and he has adopted you. If you step into this relationship with Christ, when you do that, he adopts you into his family. But he says, I want to be your father. I want to be your father. It changes so many things when we begin to see him that way. And that's what, that's what Jesus came to tell us. Listen to what uh, Greg Ogden, Pastor Greg Ogden says, as adopted children, we can enjoy the same favor that Jesus has with the father. We too are the apple of God's eye, the pleasure of his love, the delight of his focus. And if we didn't get all that we wanted or needed in our human fathers, we are invited even more deeply into the pleasure that the father of heaven and earth takes in his son and in us. We have been included in the family and hear the father say, you are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now we have the father we always needed and wanted. You know, maybe you think, I don't know if he could be well pleased with me. He's not pleased with you based on your performance. He's pleased on the fact that he chose you and he sees all that you're going to be and he knows what that looks like and you're going to have an eternity with him to be with him and know him and him know you. Why would he want to know us? I don't understand this God of heaven. I mean, if I was God, I'd be going like, eh, I don't need any of those people, you know? Oh, that Mark Shook, he's really, oh, he's a, Oh, what a pain, right? And so dysfunctional. But that's not what God does. He says, I see you. I know you. I want you. And you think he's going to make us an heir of his glory. Why would he give his, I mean, the same glory that he gives to Jesus, he's going to pour on us too. We're joint heirs, the Bible says, with Christ. Wow. This this afternoon, just kind of think about that for a little while. That, that's mind-blowing. We have no idea even what that means. But why would God share his great glory with us? Well, he's got unlimited glory, and he's picked us out. And he says, I want you to, to, to have some too. I don't want you to miss out. Eternity is going to be something amazing. I can, just, I, I, I can just promise you that when we close our eyes in death as believers and we open our eyes the morning will begin and everything will be more real than it's ever been. And you're not going to sit around in heaven for a billion years floating on a cloud, playing a harp, you know, going like, oh, I got blisters. Boring, right? He says, you're going to rule and reign with me. I mean, maybe he has a new universe for you to create. I don't know. Maybe he, he's got, but he's got something. And the other thing that does, it turns all of life on its head because some of you, you look over, they must have God's favor. Their life is so easy. Well, maybe their job in heaven isn't that big of a deal, you know? Maybe they're like a clerk or something, you know? And, and your life is so, and you, you keep being, he's teaching you to be an overcomer because he's got a big job for you. This is boot camp. He's preparing us to rule and reign with him. That's why it's so important that we don't miss it. 
You know, could you imagine a soldier going to boot camp and just, you know, sitting around and, and the, the sergeant calls them all out there and he goes, eh, I might come later. I'm kind of tired. I'm going to sleep in today. That's going to go well, right? But God's going like, hey, I know it's tough. It's boot camp. I've got something. I've got a purpose. Don't waste your sorrows. So he's given us this amazing gift, sonship, daughtership, the ability to share in his glory as an heir. It's going to be something amazing, but it also is supposed to be amazing right now. So God created community of faith to be his home. He created the church to be his family. And the other picture we see in scripture, and you see it often when they talk about the church, is that the church is designed to be the body of Christ. That's who we are as his church. And it's one of the most beautiful pictures that we see in the scripture. I want you to listen listen to Ephesians 1.23. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Think about that for a minute. If you're the church, not the building, but the people, you are Christ's body. He speaks through you. He acts through you. His presence is found in you. Now think about that in your life. When you go out every day, you get up, you go to work, you go to school, whatever it is you have going on, you are Christ's body. When you go, he wants to speak through you. He wants to act through you. He wants you to carry his presence with you wherever you go. That's an incredible thing that he does for us, an incredible responsibility that we have as his church. But what a beautiful picture of the way that he wants to use us out in the world. That's what it means when he talks about the fact that we're salt and we're light. We're carrying his light with us, his power with us, his life in us. Listen to Romans 12, 4 and 5. Just as there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with the body of Christ. We are all parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete, for we each have different work to do. So we belong to each other, and each of us needs the other parts. So the church has many parts, that verse says. We're all different. We're all unique. We've all been designed and created differently. I want you to just take a minute and look down that row that you're seated on today. Look at those people sitting in your row. I mean, every one of them's different, right? Every one of them looks different. We're all different shapes and sizes. God definitely has a sense of humor. (laughs) He does have a sense of humor. But we're all different shapes and sizes and colors and nationalities. We speak different languages. Every one of us is different. God doesn't make two of anything. He makes an original of everything. Even if you're an identical twin, there are differences between you and your twin. God loves diversity. He loves the beauty of the differences. And at Community of Faith, we want to celebrate that as his church. And he says that every part is needed to make the body complete. Every one of you is needed here at Community of Faith. I know it's so easy in a church this size, and I, because I've heard it, I hear people say it, well, Community of Faith is so big, they don't really need me. I can just come every once in a while on a weekend, but they don't really need me. That's not true because if we're a body, every part is needed. Every part is important. Every part has a role to play. Every part has a purpose. Did you know that? That's who God designed you to be. I mean, just think of your own physical body. Every part has a purpose, right? And you need every part of it. 
I mean, think about the smallest part. Your, maybe your little tiny toenail. I mean, you may think, well, that's just a little toenail. But what if you lose that toenail? I mean, you know it, right? With every step you take, you feel it. And you know that toenail's missing. You miss it. The same is true in, in the church. When you're not here, when you're not plugged in, when you're not connected and you're not serving, you're not fulfilling the purpose that God has for you in the body of Christ, we know it. We all feel it. It's a pain for all of us. That scripture says we belong to one another. We need one another. Sometimes someone will come up to me and say, you know, you really need some work in this area of your church. I just wish that y'all did this better. And I'm always thinking, I wonder who's not plugged in that's supposed to be because God has provided everything that we need if we all plug in and do just the one or two or three things that he's asked us to do. You know, when I had chemotherapy, I lost a lot of my eyelashes. And when you lose them, all of a sudden you notice it, that they're missing. And so does everybody else. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but every part of your body has a different role to play, and it's important, whether it's big or small. And the same is true here at Community of Faith. We all have a different part. I don't know if you like to do puzzles, but just imagine you were working one of those thousand-piece puzzles, and it took you a couple of days to get it done, and you get all the way down, ready to plug in that last piece, and what happens? It's gone. Pretty sure the dog stole it and ate it, right? I think the devil took it. <laughs> but, but what do you do? I mean, you're like, oh my gosh, that one piece. And when you look at the puzzle, what do you notice? That's the thing you see, right? The missing piece. It's supposed to be this beautiful jigsaw puzzle, but all that stands out is that glaring missing piece. It's the same here at Community of Faith. When you're not here, your absence is felt, your absence is seen, you're, you're missed here at Community of Faith. That's why God wants us to be connected. It hurts us, it hurts me when you're not here. If I'm not here, you're hurt, just like that toenail that you feel when it's not there. We, we all get cheated a little bit when we're not all here. And I want you not to confuse prominence with significance. They're not the same thing. You may not be prominent at Community of Faith, but whatever your role is, it's significant. The most important light in my house you know, is not the big chandelier in the dining room, but it's the little tiny nightlight that I plung in in the bathroom. So when I get up in the night, I don't stub my toe, right? It's the small things can be just as important as the big things. We don't all do the same thing. Some of us sing and some of us speak and some of us hold babies and some of us smile. Some of us make coffee. Whatever your role is, every one of them is important and every one of them is needed. Remember what that verse said, we are belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. Did you know that they did a big study that found that people decide if a church is going to be their church home in the first three minutes of getting there? Now, that doesn't have very much to do with the, the preaching, does it? <laughs> you know, in the first three minutes, they know, and that's you, and that's who you are. It says... <clears throat> You all need the other parts. We all need one another. I can't fulfill my purpose that God has for me by myself, and neither can you. God expects us to be here together because we belong to one another. Maybe like me, you've thought at some point, well, I don't really need to be in a small group. I just, you know, I don't need that. 
I'm okay. But you have, have you ever thought that if your presence is missing, there's somebody in that group that's not getting what they need? Maybe they need your presence. Maybe they need your encouragement. They need your advice. They need you to give them a hug on that day when they're down, or they need to be able to call you when they're having a hard time. It's not about you. Maybe they just need to be able to say, well, at least somebody has more problems than me. I don't know. (laughs) But it's not about you. It's how God wants to use you. He's designed you and put you together, a part of this home, a part of this family, a part of this body because he wants to use you for his kingdom purposes. And this is kind of a little bit of a gory picture, but think for me for a minute, what happens if your hand is cut off and it's disconnected from your body? What's going to happen? Well, your hand's going to wither up, right? And it's going to die. It's not useful anymore. It's not serving its purpose. I mean, if your ear is cut off, it can't hear anymore, right? It can't do the thing that it was designed and created to do. The same thing is true for the body of Christ. When one of us is missing, when one of us is disconnected, you're going to dry up and wither up. You're not going to be able to fulfill the purpose that God created you for. We're all to be connected to the body of Christ, connected to one another. Colossians 2.19, the Apostle Paul is talking about that very thing and about being spiritually disconnected. And he says this, and they are not connected to Christ the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. He's saying that you only grow by being connected to God's body. That's the only way you're going to be nourished. It's the only way you're connected to the lifeblood that you need. God wants you to be connected to people because our connections keep us growing. And maybe you pride yourself in being self-sufficient, or maybe you're you know, an extreme introvert. And I know this is a challenge for you and it's difficult for you, but God wants you to connect because it's as you do that, that you're going to grow and you're going to help other people to grow. So I want to encourage you today to stop in the lobby and register for a small group. God knows that you need that in your life. And the way you're going to grow is if you do that. Merriam-Webster defines community as a unified body of individuals. And the Latin root to that word means something that's bound together. That's the picture of the body of Christ. We're bound to one another. And in that way, we fulfill the purpose and we grow and we're able to support and encourage one another. One guy said to me one time, he goes, I'm probably just like the intestine or something, you know? And I, and I said to him, I said, well, can you imagine a body without an intestine? I mean, that's a horrible thing. And, and did you know that a lot of our feel-good hormones and serotonin and stuff, a lot of that comes from your intestines, not just from places in your brain. It, it's, it's amazing to realize how intricate our body is put together, and each of us has a part. And the older you get, I mean, the older I get, the more I think about my intestines, but, you know, it seems like you hear that with all the old folks. It's like, oh, great, I'm so glad you had a bowel movement. But... um if I ever get to that point, just, you know, just please say something, right? The last thing that God wants us to see is he, he has this word picture that says the church is like a plant that bears fruit, like a grapevine or a fruit tree. And I think it's important that we see that because I think what it's trying to say is that fruit that comes, it's the fruit of the spirit, but it's what brings healing to us in our lives. 
It's what begins to overcome the dysfunction. We talk about a lot of those things that cause dysfunction, but it, it comes from the fact that we got out of relationship with God way back. Our ancestors, our very first ancestors on the planet chose their own way. And God has been working since then to bring us about. He first created mankind, and then through Abraham, he chose the Jewish people, and they were his people. And then Jesus came as a Jewish person to say, now God wants to open this up, and he's creating something that's the bride of Christ, the church. We're the ultimate reason for creation. And he's teaching us how to overcome and rule and reign with him for all of eternity. After he wraps this whole thing up, we'll still be there billions and billions and billions of years ruling and reigning and walking with him. And he's going to take great pleasure in us in that moment. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you stay connected to me and I'm connected to you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Now we think nothing. I I work real hard trying to do good things for my fellow man and all that. Well, in God's eyes, it's nothing. Because he is so perfect and so holy that he demands perfection. But he's not like that perfectionist dad maybe that you had that you could never measure up to. And some of you got these old tapes playing And that's how you see God. It's like this critical inner spirit, inner voice that you hear. And you think it's God, but it's not. God doesn't talk to us that way. He's not saying you don't measure up. You know, you're not worth anything. You're never going to be anything. That's not God. That's another tape that's playing, okay? Because God doesn't see us that way. He sees us as sons and daughters. And he says, even though I demand perfection, I'm going to provide a way for you to be that in my eyes. And that's through what Jesus did on the cross. So as we step into that, not trying to get our good to outweigh our bad, like we talked about last week, but stepping into what Jesus did on the cross somehow, I still don't completely understand it, but he opened the way for us to have relationship and God sees you as blameless and as perfect. And that's kind of a really cool deal. Connections make the difference. You know, a disconnected toaster, have you ever done that? I, I, One day I went in and I was trying to make toast and I didn't realize it wasn't plugged in and push it down. You have to wait a really long time for toast, you know? Uh, And all of us, if we're disconnected, there's no warmth to us. You know, there's no power there. There's a word for disconnected grapes. You know what it is? Raisin. You ever eaten one of those? Don't be a raisin, okay? I mean, you know, it's, you might like raisins, but don't be one, okay? It's just lifeless, and it's just shriveled, and it's, you know, you don't want to be one. So what kind of fruit do I produce when I'm connected to Jesus' body? Look what it says in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Leave that verse up there for a minute. Look at those things. What would your life be like if that's what you were showing all the time? Amazing, right? But that is available to us as we walk in that, but we have to be filled with the Spirit. How do you do that? Well, I'm going to show you real quickly right now. 
Okay, I call it spiritual breathing. If you're a believer, here's what you do. First of all, just close your eyes with me for a minute, all across the room and at home. And just say, Holy Spirit, you live inside of me. Is there anything that you want to show me that's disconnected us, that's, that, that's brought a disconnection to us, that's between us? And what he's going to bring up, it's, going to, it's called sin, some things that you've done. And he'll bring them to your mind. Now, don't try to force them. Don't try to go back to childhood and work from there. Just let the Holy Spirit bring them. You don't have to force this. So I'm be quiet right now. You just tell him that, and let's listen. Maybe it's little things. Maybe there's some larger things. Maybe he's getting on you for this grudge that you won't let go of, or maybe it's just shouldn't have cursed the rain this morning. I don't know. That yelling at the kids in the car as you were getting out for church. Put that big smile on your face for everybody else. Now, what the Bible says is what he brings up, you just confess it to him. You don't have to go to a priest. He says that he's our high priest. Confess means to agree with. You don't have to crawl over broken glass to try to repent. You don't try to retaliate against yourself or, you know, get down on yourself for a month or a year. Just say, I agree with you. You're right. That, that was sin. That was wrong. And it says he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. That's what he does. And then you just say, okay, Holy Spirit, you live in me. Now I want you to fill me up. Just fill me up completely with you. You be in charge in my life. I give you charge of my life. Point the direction and I'll go. Nudge me and I'll do that. And that's being filled with the Spirit. And what comes out, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, all of those start coming out. It's amazing what God does. And it's natural. You can look back up here. Laura and I, you know, in our early marriage, we had no marriage tools at all. But there came a point early in our marriage where we thought we're either going to be on dateline, you know, or... Uh, we're going to uh, not make it or we're going to have to be filled with the Spirit. And both of us began to walk in this. And even though we didn't have any tools, God enabled us to stay together. And little by little, he brought people that would help us learn the tools of marriage. And it was just this amazing, amazing thing. But you think about this. It's got to be done in community. All of these fruits of the Spirit, you don't love by yourself in a corner what you do is you love people around you in a relationship. And you think about each and every one of those things that it's talking about. It's, it, it gives us God's power to change. There's another verse that we don't like very much. We don't talk about very much in, in the United States because we're, you know, don't like to be vulnerable. But it says this in James 5, 16, admit your faults to one another, pray for each other so you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and wonderful results. So as we get in those small groups and you get to know people, there might be someone that you really connect with. And 
maybe you go to lunch with, or maybe even your small group gets that close. It happens sometimes that you can just share, man, I'm really struggling in this area, or I fell on my face this week, or my marriage is on its last legs. That's when you find healing. As long as you're quiet, silent, you don't find healing. And let's just admit it. All of us are a little bit dysfunctional. I mean, look at that person right next to you or on either side of you. They're dysfunctional. You don't have to say it out loud. And you know what? They're looking at you. You're dysfunctional. I love the the logo that I made for Community of Faith is got two lines on the outside that cross each other, and that's function and mission, where they meet. And that's where Community of Faith is. And that's what we're all about, where function and mission come together. See, if God didn't use dysfunctional people, who would he use? He wouldn't have anybody. I remember when Laura and I were on the mission field, we were in Mexico City, and Second Baptist asked me to come back at their campus on the west side of town and, and preach. And so I came back to preach and, and told my stories and my funny stories and all the things that had happened and uh, all the amazing things that God had done. And there's like a group of like 100 people that lined up to talk to me. Most of them were, you know, pretty young, like in their 20s and 30s. And a lot of them were interested in becoming missionaries. And I remember this one young man, he came up and he just looked like down and he said, Mark, I just feel like God's called me to be a missionary. He wants me to be a missionary, but I struggle from depression. And I remember lifting his chin up and grabbing him by the shoulders and looking right in his eyes. He goes, dude, I have great news for you. You can get Prozac over the counter in Mexico. And he's like, what? I said, seriously, I did it. Why do you think missionaries are so happy? Here's the thing that I'm talking about, you know. Don't let your dysfunction stop you from mission. And together at Community of Faith, we're getting more functional and missional at the same time. And I think it's really, really important that we figure that out. I want you just to close your eyes with me as we close. Maybe you've been saying that, God, I would serve you, but I'm not functional. You know what God's saying? Well, that comes as a big surprise to me. No, he's not saying that. He said, I know, little son. I know, little daughter. Step into me. Step into my church, my body. And we'll become functional and we'll become missional. We can do both at the same time. We don't have to wait for one to do the other. Maybe he's calling you. Maybe you're feeling that draw even right now. Maybe there's something that you know, I just need to talk to somebody. That's why we have a counseling team. That's why we have these people that come up here at the end of the service to pray with you. You can tell them anything. If they've heard it all, they'll pray with you and walk with you and believe with you. It's the first step of healing. Every time, that I've said, you know, this is a real area of problem in my life, and I shared it with somebody, healing came. Every time that I just held it inside and tried to be, you know, not so vulnerable, I just had to hold on to that dysfunction forever until I finally shared it. Maybe it's time to let that out. God, I know that you love us. I hear you, Father, saying 
your little daughter's here. I see you. I've seen you all your life. I saw the trauma you went through. I saw everything. I cried those tears with you. You didn't know it. I didn't want that for you, but I was there with you in your suffering. But I'm calling you to so much more. I see what you can be and what you're going to be. Step into this. Step into me. Little son, I see you. That feeling that you've had from early childhood of not being enough, never measuring up, can't be good enough. That's not how I see you. That's not me playing in your head. That's some other tape. I love you. Step into me. Walk with me. Step into my body, my family. Be part of my building. Father, as we do this over these next few weeks and we become a whole new generation of members for community of faith, I ask that you would do the miraculous that you've promised to do. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God over us and let nothing stop what you want to do in our lives and in our church. And I believe the best days of our church are directly in front of us. The most impactful days are directly in front of us. Thank you for what you're about to do. Thank you that we can have a front row seat to it in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you, community of faith. Thanks for being here today. We got some people to pray for you. We have our mission fair that's happening over in the uh, multi-purpose building. We just want you to know that we just love you so much, and we hope that you have a great rest of the day, even in the rain. It's supposed to stop by 8 o'clock, so.